Welcome to the Melrose Place cast. My name is Tej. I'm a Melrose Place super fan going back decades, and I'm here to convince my friend Mary that this show counts as high art for the generations worthy of literary praise. And I'm Mary, and I'm here to convince my friend Tej that it's a trashy soap opera, and that's okay. Join us on our very, very long journey from season one, episode one, pilot, to season seven, episode 35, Asses to Ashes. Oh, good news, Mary. There's the reboot season that we get to watch as well. What? And Models Inc., the spinoff. There's a spinoff. And we should probably review Beverly Hills 90210 when that's all done. Wasn't that on before this? Why would we do. Hello, and welcome to the Melrose Place Today we're talking about season one, episode 14 Drawing the Line. I'm Mary. And I am Teach, and I am just reasonably excited about this week. Oh, good. Good. Reasonably. That's good. <laughs> reasonably. That's the best we can hope for. So that's pretty Can good. I start with my first high art point, Mary? Yeah. I would like to talk about Carrie. Because oh, we good. all know someone like Carrie. Carrie, for those of you who haven't watched this episode in either a couple weeks or decades, you know. Uh, This is the episode, Sandy's gone, so Rhonda is trying to get new roommates. A new roommate. They spare us the the cascade of people coming to interview. If you remember in episode one, they had this dreadful scene where they had a cast of characters come in and and Allison uh, reacted in a very transphobic way to one of the characters. But instead, we just get Carrie, who shows up in LA with an umbrella. (laughs) <laughs> which she just hands to Rhonda to do something with, which I, I didn't like. I didn't like, but whatever. Uh, anyway, this is the part that was high art. Rhonda asked Carrie, so what do you do? Like, what's your job? And Carrie just looked at her and smiled. And she said, I'm an OP. And Rhonda said, oh, you mean like delivering babies? And Carrie, with that smug look on her face, that attitude that we've, we all know someone who does this is like, no, silly. That's an OB. I'm an OP. And then again, just stares at Rhonda like, get it? And of course you wouldn't get it. Nobody knows what an OP is. We later learn that it is an organizational professional. She helps people put their lives together or organize their lives for a living. Which, listen, I feel Carrie. I'm with her. I shared a lot of her OCD because I think spices should be alphabetized. I think your cans of vegetables should be matched together and in a logical, consistent order. I think she, Rhonda should have let Carrie clean the pan. <laughs> but the part that just struck me as high art was that obnoxious, I'm an OP, silly. Shut up. Listen, Carrie, you know, she has, I think they were trying to make us think she has OCD. Yeah. But I, listen, she was speaking my language. I don't think she did. I think she had CDO. What's CDO? CDO, it's like OCD, just in alphabetical order like it should be. (laughs) Oh, well done. Thank Um, you. I stole that joke from my nephew. (laughs) <laughs> well kudos to him yeah. uh yeah the whole I'll, I'll talk more about that subplot later but uh yeah 
that was fun. I did enjoy the little confusion with what an OP is versus an OB. That was a nice. It was just that attitude of no, an OP, duh. It's like nobody knows what you're talking about. No, that's not a thing. That's still not a thing, is it? I've never heard of someone describing themselves. That I don't way. know. Do you think that's a service I would ever try and find, Mary? Maybe. No, I could do it myself. Better. Well, I mean, get tips. Like you might want to get some tips <laughs> to do even better than you already do. You know, the the people don't know about my ties. Yeah. <laughs> so I my OCD. Uh, I, I'm not making fun of people with actually diagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder, but my uh, sense of routine and wanting things to be just so I had, when I lived up by Mary, I had precisely 72 ties mm-hmm. and I would insist on wearing each one before I could wear another one again. Right. So I would wear all 72, but not in order because that's just weird. So I would wear one and then I would put it on the other half of the tie rack in the order that I wore it. So then when it was time to switch and I would go backwards, then I would just pick randomly, you know, like chaos. And I do think, you know, the people we worked with, I think they were always eager when the, when it was time to switch over, you know, because all of a sudden when, when you got to a new cycle, then, you know, the bright pink ties can come back or whatever. Yeah. It helped that you would send emails to remind people that the cycle was ending too. I think that remind them. <laughs> they knew Mary... I think some of them probably did. They did. And when it, when I got to the, the brown ties, that's when you knew I was at the end. This brings up a question. Why did you keep those ties and not just get more of the ones you liked? I mean, it took me a little while to get there. Do you have any uh, trashy, trashy points to make? Probably not. This week was on point. <laughs> I'd like to talk about the Lily dream sequence and the aftermath. Yes. Because it was very entertaining. Uh, so for a little bit of background, in this episode, Keith's uh, soon-to-be ex-wife finally manifests physically. We've only talked about her. She shows up at the Oceanside house that Keith is squatting in to discuss the relationship. And unfortunately, that throws off Keith and Allison's plans to get freaky. So Keith comes over to Allison and Billy's house during this raging thunderstorm because Lily kicks him out for the night. It brought up a question in my mind. Like, there's if a squatter gets kicked out of a house by another squatter, like how do squatters' rights work? Like who has possession of the house? But anyway, uh, Allison invites him to stay for the night and Billy's not super happy. And then she kind of presumptuously just offers him some of Billy's dry clothes, which I thought was like, oh, that's a little Yeah, she did do that. Uh, Billy pulls her aside and says, what are you thinking? We're not going to harbor some fugitive from a marriage. What if his wife comes over here and kills us with a shotgun? <laughs> like, Jesus, Billy. Uh, But she's clearly a little on edge, too, because while uh, Keith is taking a shower to warm up, she digs through his wallet and finds this picture of him and who we have to presume is Lily. And they're in Hawaii or something because they're in flowery swimsuits. So later in the night, the storm is still raging. And uh, she wakes up after naked time with Keith. But she didn't really wake up because... Lily's sitting on the edge of her bed and somehow she doesn't immediately figure out this is a dream, even though Lily is wearing the outfit she was wearing in the picture she saw in his wallet. Uh, thankfully, even Dream Lily is smarter than Allison and tells her, yeah, it's a dream, <laughs> which was a nice touch. Uh, dream Lily talks about how she went to Washington for her job to convince Congress to bail out the farmers and that she got the aid, but she lost her husband. Uh, dream Lily 
I re- this next portion I greatly enjoyed. Uh, so Lily asks what does, and Allison responds, it's advertising. Lily says, well, you probably have one of those vivacious personalities and a great sense of humor. She does. And this is how we know it's a dream because it's Allison's subconscious talking about how great she is because she does neither of those things. Uh, Dream Lily says that Allison can get Keith to laugh and she hears, you do that and a whole lot more. I'm like, whoa. Uh, Allison is trying to tell Dream Lily that she thinks too hard on herself and her marriage was already dead. Lily begs to differ though and says, she never had a fighting chance. My marriage died because you came along and destroyed it. You're responsible, Allison. You and you alone. And the lightning cracks and Allison wakes up and she's aghast. It was a nightmare. Uh, it was a nightmare for Allison. It was for Allison. Uh, it was a dream for me. <laughs> uh, the next morning, Allison and Keith make plans to go camp. And Billy is sitting around wearing overalls with no shirt underneath. And he does have a shirt on over the overalls, but it's just it's very strange. Yeah, uh, I, so I noted this as well. I called it Farmer Campbell. Farmer Campbell. Because he, he, he's wearing overalls with no shirt under it, but he's got this stupid flannel over the top of it. That's real weird. Why did he do this? I don't know. Why does he, he looks awful? Listen, uh, Billy was cast for the abs. They should not be covering him with overalls. That's the hardest way to get to his abs. Like, if he's got a shirt, he can just lift it up. But overalls, you got to unclip those little things oh, around your shoulder. It's just an obstacle <laughs> to the abs. Al- Keith leaves, and uh, Allison starts talking to Billy about her dream. And, of course, instead of just coming to the obvious conclusion that that was her subconscious, telling her that she feels guilty about the whole relationship, she decides she needs to go to Keith's house and just look at Lily. Because, yeah, that seems logical and rational. So she drives over there in her stupid Betsy car, and she watches Lily walk out to pick up the newspaper from the curb like a total stalker. Like, it's so weird. And unfortunately for Allison, though, this is kind of a neighborhood, and there's not a lot of traffic. And so Lily looks up and immediately notices there's, like, one random car parked, and there's a person in it. So she's staring back and starts walking toward the car. And Allison, like, barely manages to get her rusty, shitty car started. And skids away wildly down the street, which doesn't look suspicious at all. <laughs> so what we learned from this was that Allison has a very high opinion of herself. Because <laughs> she thinks that she has a great sense of humor. Uh, I would also much rather have spent the rest of the episode hanging out with Lily than Allison. Because Lily seems like she might actually be interesting. Uh, and also, in this impending divorce, Lily is clearly the winner. So I just disagree with everything you said there. Uh, all of it. <laughs> Allison oh, remains fantastic. She is the victim here. And she, listen, she just, she had to confront the reality of Lily. That's why she had to go look at her, as, as you said. Lily shouldn't go walking up to strangers in cars. This is, this is why your husband isn't having anything to do with you, Lily. That's why? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I, you know, I like the in the the plot on this in the, the first half of the episode, again with the relationship with Jane, or mm-hmm. the dynamic between Jane and Allison, because Allison really pushes Jane, essentially says to Jane to yell at her about this, and Jane does, and Allison, I'm so impressed with her for pointing this out and the writers for putting it there for us. Allison said, 
I'm sorry if Keith leaving his wife makes you feel insecure about your marriage with Michael. And that was like, nailed it. She nailed it because Allison is what? On the Dean's list at the University of Wisconsin, where somehow she brings a car, even though cars aren't allowed. Oh, I was going to ask if you had another attempt to convince me that this is high art. You know that I do. In fact, I think this is going to be a successful attempt. Oh, okay. I would like to talk about Matt's dad, who's so proud of him. That's it. That was real. <laughs> so, so Matt goes to uh, his parents' house. At the end of la- or last week, we decided Jake convinced Matt to do something, and Matt decided he's gonna. Matt decided he was gonna sue. Mm-hmm. He goes to a lawyer who needs five thousand dollars as a retainer. Matt doesn't know how he's gonna come up with the money, so he gets a job at a burger place that is not Shooters. What was it? Bur- Bikini Burgers or something? <laughs> Burgers. Yeah, bikini burgers. Oh, that may. I, I I thought I knew for sure what your sponsor would be this week, Mary, but now I could see another option. <laughs> but he needs five thousand dollars. He doesn't have five thousand dollars, and Jake says, "Go get the money from your parents." And I was like, "I, I don't know why Jake would just assume parents have five thousand dollars." But Matt's appeared too, and but Matt is hesitant to go, and Jake is like, "Do your parents know you're gay?" And again, I was like, "Yeah." They've met Rhonda. <laughs> and she would, she would have taken care of that. But no, Matt goes to his parents and asks for $5,000. And the, the real part, the high art part that, that really resonated with me, this doesn't reflect my own situation, but I have um, seen it. Just the way the dad gets mad at Matt about this and says, I knew this would happen. And yeah. uh, I didn't like that. And I don't like this dad. It seems like for, like, I know I a lot it seems like for the time and maybe even for some people now it seemed like a fairly realistic representation of how the conversation might go with some parents but yeah i appreciated that his mom seemed a little more supportive maybe not as verbally supportive but she seemed to be trying to empathize Mm -hmm. or or a little able to show that and i don't know if that was sexism in the you know because it's like the mom and so she's supposed to be more sensitive or what but still it seemed like you know granted I've not had that experience, but it seemed like it might be sort of a realistic representation of that. I think it was. And I think the standard back in the early nineties, Mary was so low, right? Like nowadays, if when your kid comes out to you, like, you know, you can act however you're going to act, but people are going to have thoughts about how you act. Yes. Back then, as long as you did not actively throw them out on the streets, it was considered a kind and loving response. Um, That was when, you know, it was still okay to look right at your kid and say, oh, man, love the sinner, but hate the sin, you know? Uh, Yeah. And and that was that was the the vibe I got from dad. And, uh, you know, let's just say, I hope. uh, Hope he comes to terms with things quickly. (laughs) Foreshadowing. (laughs) Uh, uh, of, of, when the very opening of that scene, his dad is giving him a pep talk about losing his job at the halfway house. Because mm-hmm. now get a real job where he makes. Oh, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're never gonna make any money making a difference. There was a song about that Superman song by the Crash Test Dummies. When I was in RA, they made us as uh, during part of our training just sit in a dark room and listen to the song, I think to make us feel better about, you know, the fact that we were practically volunteers. 
<laughs> but the, the chorus was, Superman never made any money saving the world from Solomon Grundy. And sometimes I despair. The world will never see another man like him. And it was all about like, look, you're making a difference. It's okay if we barely give you food. It's fine. You're helping other college students find the toilet to vomit in at the appropriate time. I know. I saved them from that, Mary. You know this. I would knock on their doors and I would, I wouldn't even dump their alcohol out for them. I would make them dump it out. And I was cool. (laughs) I never became an RA because I knew myself well enough to know that I would have been a total militant heart. Like I would have been such a jerk everyone around me. I've been such a stickler that like I would have not any friends. So Mary, everyone I, RA and could figure out how to do that because I was already an old lady at twenty and Mary, I would not have fun. No one would have wanted to live on my floor. My first year as an RA, first semester actually, it was the fall. And I was losing control of the floor. So I I had a you know, I had to toughen up. And mm-hmm. it was Monday night football with the Packers. And I was in Wisconsin, as you know. And it was a game we were about to lose. And then at the very end, there was this dramatic moment where they scored a touchdown or a field goal or a basket or whatever. And the floor just erupted in cheering, but it was after quiet hours. Oh. I wrote I wrote five write-ups that night. <laughs> <laughs> See, that I'm I, I would have been high fiving you and no one would have liked us <laughs> that moment. <laughs> Nobody from that floor talks to me anymore. Oh, well, you showed them. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Uh, Did I win you over yet? (laughs) Oh, did I win you over? Of course not. Let's come back and, and try again. Great news for fans of Rhonda's Culinary Funk, or those who haven't taken the plunge and tried it yet. Now's a great time to sign up for this dynamic, innovative meal delivery service because there are some wonderful menu options to round up your Thanksgiving feast. Your family's going to love Rhonda's low-carb cornbread muffins. Ooh, or that Thanksgiving staple, low-fat fettuccine. Mmm, and I bet your mouth's already watering for some mashed potatoes and codfish gravy. Also, for the month of November... Each order of $87 or more placed at rondasculinaryfunk.biz will receive three fabulous freebies. Just enter promo code gobble, gobble, gobble. That's gobble three times in a row. No spaces. You'll get a new copper pot from affiliate sponsor Carrie's Copper Pots. (laughs) For those who don't know, Rhonda's associate and former roommate Carrie is an official OP. That's organizational professional. She also has a love of fine copper pottery, and it's guaranteed to last a lifetime, as long as you take care of it properly. <laughs> but Carrie has thoughtfully included another. It's a five DVD set of instructional videos on proper copper pot preparation and protection. It'll tell you everything you need to know, and then some. Last but not least, Carrie's going to throw in a family pack of pine-scented shoe deodorizers. Hey, it's that time of year when everything's getting a little musty and your shoes are probably wet from the snow when you put them away. Here's it's safe to assume your shoe closet smells like a dirty old armpit. Visit Rhonda's Culinary Funk.biz today and enter promo code 
gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> those three fabulous freebies. That's Rhonda's culinary funk. You'll be glad you learned to boil water. <laughs> Mary, I've got, some, I've got some questions for Rhonda's culinary funk. Oh, please, hit me up. It, it, one, it sounds fantastic that Rhonda and her roommate Carrie are working together to get, bring this great deal to our listeners. Oh, I'll say. I'm particularly excited about the Thanksgiving themed meal options that oh, we're God. offering here on February 1st. You know what? Different cultures and countries celebrate Thanksgiving at different times. Maybe it's Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> Our good friends in British Columbia can email us and let us know. <laughs> I can't wait to, you know, I, I just think maybe, you know, I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't signed up for Rhonda's Culinary Funk yet. I thought what? the price would be far more than $87. Maybe I should try it for my sweetie for Valentine's Day. A good codfish gravy. Oh, who doesn't love mashed potatoes and codfish gravy? I mean, is there anything that speaks more to the values of America and or Thanksgiving and or Valentine's Day as some of that? I don't know. Yeah, McDonald's. Mm, I mean, I, I guess you can go that route if you want. But if you really like to prepare meals family from a kit then you should yeah. go with Rhonda's culinary funk so mary does speaking of mcdonald's does Rhonda's culinary funk have any plans to offer the mcplant the new vegan burger being put out by mcdonald's you know Rhonda's culinary funk tries not to tread on ground that other people have gone on she likes to be bold and try new exciting flavor combinations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like pumpkin spice codfish Oh, God. You know, I bet that's a real hot seller around Thanksgiving, too. <laughs> and for Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. That, what's, what's that promo code again? Gobble, gobble, gobble. No spaces. <laughs> I feel like it needs a little a little oomph when you say it like, gobble, gobble, gobble. That's, I agree, except um, it's harder for people to understand that, so they might spell gobble wrong. And we are back for the second half of season one, episode 14 of the Melrose Place cast. We are discussing Drawing the Line. I am Tej, arguing here that this episode of Melrose Place counts as high art for the generations. I'm Mary. I'm arguing the opposite. <laughs> you know, we should switch roles one of these times, Mary. We could. Yeah. It would, it would force us to strengthen our creativity muscles. <laughs> Probably right. a little harder than you. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Mary, do you have any? Uh, do you have a trashy point to get us started? I do, and we were just talking about our, our our origins in the Midwest, and I'd like to give a shout out to two very passive aggressive Midwesterners in this episode, Allison and Jane. Uh, there are several scenes <laughs> where they run into each other and. They won't just say they're mad, <laughs> and it's very relatable to my life. Uh, so we start, uh, Jane does not approve of what she calls Allison's homewrecker status. I don't know if they still use the word homewrecker. Is that a thing? Oh. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, yes. 
I don't watch as much Judge Judy as I used to either, so I'm a little behind. Uh, so they bump into each other for the first time this episode by the mailboxes during a rainstorm. And they both go into what I like to call Midwestern passive-aggressive overdrive immediately. Raining and Jane says, very, like, already out of the gate. She's like, I don't think even the rain could dampen your spirit. And Allison is being dumb. And she's like, oh, you heard the good news. And Jane goes, congratulations, I guess. <laughs> like, yes, it's on. <laughs> Allison responds, you don't sound very sincere. And Jane says, I'm sorry. What do you want me to say? Allison says, I just want my friends to be happy for me. And Jane says, if you're happy, I'm happy. Boom, drop the mic. Oh my God, Barry, you're taking way too much pleasure in this. But the fact that they so correctly captured Midwestern passive aggressive, I think that I think you're arguing my point for me. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Well, if if you make the point, I'm happy. (laughs) Oh, you got me. Uh, This conversation goes on some more, and then Allison says, "I'm sorry if the fact that Keith." wife makes you feel insecure about your own marriage Boom. and then jane for once in her life punches back allison if you knew the if you understood the first thing about a marriage you'd understand that what goes around comes around if keith could leave his wife he'll leave you too and i'm like double mic drop for jane so this goes back on the back burner until they run into each other again and they're in the laundry room which is in a basement which seems weird because it, it seems like a weird place to have a basement, but whatever. I don't, I don't know what things are like in California. Uh, Allison starts babbling because she's washing her sleeping bag because she's going to go camping with Keith. And she talks about how it's from her Girl Scout days. And she doesn't really like camping because when she was a kid, she was always scared of getting attacked by something wild in the night. And Jane dryly asks, and now you're looking forward to it? Allison doesn't catch her tone and dopely replies, yeah, I guess I am. Jane grabs her laundry basket to leave and she says, well, have a good time. And if I were you, I'd leave your merit badges at home. (laughs) (laughs) All the time, I would like you so much more. And I mean, they sort of make up, the the scene goes on, they kind of come I don't know that it's an understanding. They kind of mend the fence, but not really. But I really enjoyed the trip along the way where I got, this is like watching my relatives at the reunion. It was great. Close your legs to married men. It's good advice. <laughs> Listen, that, that whole exchange with Jane, one, one of the more interesting things about Jane so far. Yeah. Uh, two, I liked you saying for the first time, Jane punches back because she's, she's going to punch back. <laughs> In, in, in different ways coming coming up as things get more uh, entertaining. But yeah, the, the whole exchange with Allison and Jane, it was, it was well done. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was good because it was Allison's storyline, but it was building Jane's character and her underlying motivation of what's about to happen with Michael. Yeah, yeah. And we don't, we get so little from Jane, like even when she's at the center of a storyline, it's... There's not much to hang your hat on with Jane. There's just not a lot there. And so much of her character relies on who else is around her, who she's interacting with. But this was this was like a little taste of home. It was very entertaining for me. <laughs> Good. All right. Listen, I, I, I can't concede that that's trashy because I, I think you made the point that it was high art. 
<laughs> well, if you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> Can I tell you my final high art point? Yes, please. It, uh, it again, uh, has to do with our, our dear sweet Allison and her camping expedition with Keith. <laughs> go on. But, so they go camping. And um, it's as Allison is explaining what's happening, Jane does try to lecture Allison about how to have a long marriage, what you need, which I found poor Jane. Um, but they decide to go camping, and in the camping trip or the build up to it, one of the things Keith said that I thought was on point and, and reflective of how people were, were handling things, he said to Allison, We have to move you out of that apartment complex. So they've dropped a couple signs that Keith is problematic, that grabbing a Allison kind of forcefully, and um, he did that again later in this episode too. And now separating her from her, saying we need to separate you from your friends, they're causing problems. Yeah. All of that was good. While they're camping. <laughs> oh, God, Mary. <laughs> Allison wakes up, and Keith is walking back from the river with a fishing pole in his hand. <laughs> And two trout on a string. <laughs> and dumb Allison <laughs> says, Where'd you get those? <laughs> and keep answering. Keep answering. <laughs> it didn't, I just don't understand. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you come out of the grocery store with a gallon of milk, you don't ask, Where'd you get it? <laughs> Did you run into a cow? <laughs> How did this happen? Anyway, I'm building up to the, the higher point. They they have an issue, they, a conversation, and it brings up a lot of feelings for Allison about her parents, which um, that's fine. But at the end of it, she breaks up with Keith. And she's bawling to, to Billy. And I realize she's not crying because it's over, Mary. She's crying because it happened. Mm. And I thought, that's a good cross-stitch. And we'll make for some good motivational posters in about 12 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Although I think I screwed it up. I think it's, I think the saying is don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Oh, yeah. yeah I screwed but... this up. <laughs> well, our friend Jen is going to email us about an error in the podcast. Thank God we have somebody paying attention to these things. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> No, I really did think that uh, the pain, uh, the struggle Allison's going through, the rationalization she's doing, and her inner strife that, that keeps coming out was very, um, very well done. Yeah, I think, like, I, I'm glad you brought up the number of red flags with this relationship, because he is like a red flag factory to me. And granted, I'm older than Allison's character would have been, but still, uh, some of the ones I mentioned, again, are the physical grabbing. Like you said, the, well, you should move out of there and come live with me until the stuff with my wife is settled. I'm like, ah, no, that's a bad idea. Uh, oh, God, what else? At the scene toward the end where she's trying to break up with him and he grabs him, he says, oh, God, if you can't make it work with me, you're not going to be able to make it work with anybody. Yeah. Like, that's your classic abuser talk. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I applaud Allison for having some lights come on and finally breaking up with him. You know, spoiler alert, this isn't going to stick, if I remember right, right? This is going to go around again on the merry-go-round. Mary, do you have a final trashy point? 
I do. And I know we already talked about uh, OP carry a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to acknowledge how much I enjoyed that subplot and that it made me laugh a lot. Uh, granted, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on record. I'm a big Rhonda fan, so I enjoy most of the things Rhonda does. But uh, this was Including now your best friend. Yeah, that's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really liked that. I I had literally already forgotten that Sandy moved out last week. Uh, And so I was very glad that they immediately gave us exposition when she explained to Carrie who Sandy was and where she went. Um, (laughs) I like um, the actress playing Carrie is, I believe, Radon Chong, who was, I think, was she a child star in the 80s? I didn't do any research, but I remember the name. Um, I thought she did a really good job playing this character because she she was great at the way she would hold her face. And you could tell this this character she's playing is high-strung and tense. And she, you, the whole OCD was what they were trying to put across. That was, they did a good job because it was like every little thing was precise, even in how she moved, how she spoke. Uh, anyway, so Carrie moves in. She immediately starts organizing the entire apartment, including things that aren't hers. And what I was like, holy shit, she sent all of Rhonda's clothes, like everything in her closet to a dry cleaner in Beverly Hills without asking yeah. her first. And I'm like, how much is that going to cost? I don't know how that you can't you can't put a price on that. <laughs> also, does and I say this as someone who I think I've sent one thing to a dry cleaner my entire life. Does Rhonda own a lot of clothes that require dry cleaning, or is she like me and everything can go in the washer? So I don't know. Whatever. Um I did like that she put those plastic runners all over the carpet, like in the high traffic areas. Um, it reminded me, what I, one of my brothers lived in an apartment when was in college, and the landlord had, for some ungodly reason, they replaced the carpet and put down white carpeting in this college rental. And he gave those plastic vinyl runners to put on the floor, and... Like within five minutes of these guys moving in, they're beer Is it white carpet? <laughs> so I thought about it, it made me laugh. There's a scene where after that, that uh, Carrie has sent all of her clothes to the dry cleaner without asking. She asks her to kind of ease up. And what else? Oh, she had also put pine scented shoe deodorizers in all of Rhonda's clothes without asking. And so Rhonda, I thought. Did a very good job of keeping it together. She doesn't flip out, but she's like, "Hey, you need to ease up on this. Like, please don't do that with my stuff anymore. Like, you can do what you want with your things, but don't, you know, send all of my clothes to the dry cleaners without asking." And I really enjoyed the look on Carrie's face. Was very step wife while this is happening, and she goes, "Oh yes, I know when to stop." And that's all she says. And I like that as that scene is closing. It's fading into the next scene where Allison is camping and the flames from the campfire are imposed over Rhonda's face. It made me laugh. Uh, and then we get the real meat uh, of the whole thing, where, which is where Rhonda decides to breakfast to say thank you for all the cleaning and stuff she did. And the way they set up this shot of the dirty pan on the counter with Carrie in the background, it was genius. Um, mm-hmm. We see Carrie is clearly, and I, I relate to Carrie moment to a certain degree because I'm one of those people like when the when the food is done the dishes go in the sink just like that's how I am but I whatever she's sitting there in the background at the table just staring at this pan like when a dog is looking at a tree that it can't reach and 
Rhonda keeps telling her, like, hey, just stay with her. I'm going to clean up later. Don't worry about it. And Carrie keeps bouncing up, like, I'm just going to put it in the sink. And Rhonda's like, no, let me make breakfast. It's cool. And later, we cut to the, <laughs> we cut to the final scene. And Rhonda has fallen asleep on the couch after, she, after eating, I guess. And she wakes up to Carrie holding the pan, like, two inches from her face. That's what she wakes up to. Oh, it was just fun. It was a silly little subplot. I liked it. Rhonda got a little airtime. And then it was something like, some of the rest of the episodes were a little heavy. The, 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 the scene with the waking Rhonda up with a pan right in front of her face was weird. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was very aggressive. I feel like I want to try that on and see how they react. You want to wake someone up that way? Yeah. Just see what happens. All right. Well, Mary, do you want to hit any remaining highlights? I enjoyed that Matt got his job at Bikini Burger, and yet there was not a single bikini in sight in any of the times we were there. For the record, I didn't see any burgers either. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'll give you that. Uh, I also enjoyed while Jake was visiting Matt at Bikini Burger, Matt said he didn't know how he was going to make enough tip money to pay for the retainer for his lawyer. And he said, at the rate I'm going, I'm not going to be able to pay my attorneys until 2012. And now I feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had also written down the moment you brought up when they went camping and Keith came up with the fish. And she said, where did you get that? (laughs) Which was very stupid and very funny. And lastly, um, there's a scene when Allison gets home. It's after she had had her uh, passive aggressive, not really a fight with Jane at the mailboxes. And she's soaking wet. She just got home. She's in a shitty mood. Uh, and Billy is sitting on the couch like with his mouth wide open watching TV like he normally is. And he tells her that, well, since she's already all wet, she should just run out to the place around the corner and get them some takeout because there's nothing in the fridge and he's starving. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> That's not what we do, Billy. No. Did you have anything else? I sure did. The first thing was at the very opening of the episode, uh, Billy said to Allison, because remember last week she went to go break up with Keith. And he said, I thought you would need a shoulder to cry on after you broke up with Keith. And Allison huffed in her, uh, in her way. And she said, Billy, life doesn't always come neatly packaged and neither does love. And I found that funny because probably wasteful packaging, you know, if it wasn't neatly packaged, we're using too much plastic. That's still a problem, too. Yeah. I found it interesting that Matt thought he could raise $5,000 by working a job while still paying living expenses living in L.A. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I, I thought was important to note, just for the, you know, the storyline purposes, when Allison was with Keith camping, he started asking, talking about parents, and she got really weird. And again, we're starting to, to build in more of the backstory about her parents and what Allison said was he she knew as a child that her dad had girlfriends and that her mom knew that her dad would sometimes disappear for months and then they always have to pretend like everything was back to normal and allison really just talked to billy about the the conflicting feelings she had about that she hated those women she admired them she wanted to be like them all of those things um and that that helped also explain the angst that she was having uh, in her relationship with keith you know, I, I noticed that too, because it, well, it's a fairly significant conversation toward the end of the episode. I did wonder, 
was that always an intended part of the backstory or did they kind of retrofill this in once it started? Because mm-hmm. it seems a little impossible that someone with that background that she described where her dad had like second lives going on outside of the house and that it, she knew about the tension and she was embarrassed for her mom that she would have even gotten into this relationship with a guy who's married. Once it's like once she found out she he was married, just with that background alone, just, oh nope, game over and walk. So I don't I don't know. But I'm no. credit. I, I just wanna drop a teaser. <clears throat> the special guest for next week's episode is so exciting. Is it? It is the, the guest is so exciting. I have been looking forward to this. I did not think I'd be able to pull it off. As you know, I did try to get Amy Locaine. Uh, she's unavailable. Um, but trust me, Mary, it is going to be a great show. Is it? Is it my mom? Nope. Is it your mom? Nope. I'm out of guesses. <laughs> hey, I, we've got to coordinate time zones. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can say no more. I've said too much. I've said too much. <laughs> this week's episode of the Melrose Place Cast is brought to you by Fish and Pole LLC, your camping outfitters only in Los Angeles. Are you on a camping trip and planning to want to feed your wife? I'm sorry. I mean your girlfriend. Fresh fish for breakfast? Yes, I said fish for breakfast. (laughs) If you are, call Fish and Pole, LLC Outfitters. We will come to you with a string of trout so tasty, so scrumptious looking, so still full of fish eyes, that it'll make your wife say, I'm sorry, it'll make your girlfriend say, where'd you get that? Now, to really add to the allure, we're going to keep the string of trout still attached to a fishing pole. So when your wife asks you, I'm sorry, your girlfriend asks you where you got it, you could answer honestly and earnestly, or you could hold up the fishing pole and not say a word. Either way is fine. (laughs) Now, for an extra fee, instead of trout, you can get fresh-caught Los Angeles codfish to feed your wife the bre- I'm sorry, your girlfriend the breakfast of her dreams. Wow. I I yeah. believe no one's this, business idea for now. I mean... The, the Los Angeles-based outfitters, right? How do they... Like, do you have to know where you are? Like, if you're not good with a compass, can they find you? So if you go to Fish and Pole LLC, you're going to order in advance... So you'll need to know how late your wife, I'm sorry, your girlfriend sleeps. And we'll show up just about 15 minutes before she's scheduled to wake up. And you'll get your fish and pole from Fish and Pole LLC Outfitters. That's a really great system. You know, the last thing you're going to want is to have that fish show up too early. Yeah. One option you would have, we can take a couple of trout or, again, for an extra fee, codfish, and just put them in a cage and just submerge that in the river so it'll be there waiting for you. So if you really want to give the full allure, you can kind of wade out into the river a little bit so you come back with wet pants. 
to impress your wife. Oh, sorry, your girlfriend. Mm, that's true. That might sell it more. Now, when they do that, do the the fish are in a in a bucket or, a, or an aquarium or what have you? Have they already been caught with a hook in their little fish lip, or do I have to catch them while they're in the containment area? That's a great question, Mary. What's going to happen? We are going to bring you the trout on a string, but for safety reasons, our insurance company won't let us deliver also a fish hook. So you're going to have to do one of two things, either distract your wife, I'm sorry, your girlfriend, so she doesn't inspect the fish too closely and realize that there's no fish hook hole, Hmm. or you're going to have to pierce the fish yourself. Now we recommend using the incisors on your teeth. Those are the little vampire teeth that you have, you know, and just Put a fish in there, just like that. And if you just chomp down hard enough, you'll get a little fish hook hole. So wait, seriously, how, how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? <laughs> Man, I told you this, right? So it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the, re- the reboot season. So there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far. So far. Okay. But there's also, but then Mary, there's the, the Amazon has the true story of Melrose Place movie that we should cover. Oh God. How long? Yeah. And, and uh, Models Inc. has to be covered too. Wait, what the hell is Models Inc.? It, it's a two season spinoff. Of what? What do they of, do? Of Melrose Place from the lady from Dynasty was on it, I think. The lady from Dynasty, my God, this was like a whole industry. And I do think 90210, to get to understand where this show came from, is probably worth exploring. I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> and then when Allison left, she went to Allie McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how, do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> okay, so we're in for all of it. <laughs> oh, God.